Listen to this message from Pastor Dylan. Hey, can you put your hands together for our worship team? Oh, let's go. Man, anytime we have saxophone in church, I'm a blessed man. My goodness. Hey, you can grab your seats. And uh, I just love church. Uh, I've grown up in church. And uh, church has transformed my life because it's got around got me around people that love Jesus, and, uh, and I, I love our church, Manor House. Uh, we're a church that we have this notion that we're going to feed people, we're going to supply people's needs, not just naturally, but spiritually, and uh, we're going to have a great time in church this morning. Is that okay? Is that okay? We're going to have a great morning in church this morning. And so um, we, we've been on a series uh, called Creative to Give. And I have the wonderful privilege of talking on this topic called money that's not sensitive or personal in any way. And uh, I'm really excited that we get to do a deep dive uh, into this area, uh, all joking aside. Uh, Isn't it amazing how oftentimes God talks about our resources, um, that when it comes to our resources, why is God concerned with our resources? All of them is because our resources are the best indicator that reveal what's going on in our heart. Have you, have you noticed that, that your resources, whether it's time, treasure, or talents, that, that where we spend our resources, our resources aren't right or wrong, they're tools, but, but our resources reveal what's going on in our heart. And then when it comes to this topic of finances, our church, we, we don't so care, care so much about the finance side, we care more so about the heart side, that, that what is our resources revealing about our heart condition. So this week, I get to wrap up this series, Created to Give, and I wanna talk on this topic of multiplication, that uh, when it comes to the Bible, God has this purpose for mankind, and I'm grateful it's not addition, it's multiplication. In fact, Genesis 1 verse 27, if you have your Bibles, we'll throw it up on the screen. This is what God says about His purpose for mankind. God created man in His own image, and in the image of God, He created a male and female, He created them, and God blessed them. How many of you know God wants to bless you? Sometimes we can react to that uh, because of certain things that have been preached when it comes to the prosperity gospel. But this is what the Bible says, that God blessed them. But how did God bless mankind? It says that He blessed them with the ability to be fruitful and to multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Did you notice that the blessing didn't have to do with what humanity could accrue? The blessing didn't have to do with how much they could get. The blessing had to do not with what they accrued, the blessing had to do with what humanity was able to produce. That when it comes to your and I world, can I, can I throw this suggestion out to you that the blessed life, the favored life, the fortunate life isn't what we can accumulate, isn't what we can get, but what the blessed favored life is what we can actually produce with our life and we experience the blessing. How many of you know when you produce something, man, it feels real good. That's God's intention for you and I. In fact, this word multiply, there's a slide up on the screen. This is what it means to multiply, to exponentially increase in size and quantity. That's what I want for my life. This is what I want God to do in my life. I want God to exponentially increase in size and quantity. I recognize I can't do this on my own strength. I can only do it with my life in his hands. And so today we're going to look at a famous passage in the Bible. Um, it's recorded in all the Gospels, which implies to me the significance of it. And uh, in the Gospels, there's a story that maybe you're familiar with uh, where Jesus feeds a lot of people. In fact, this whole principle of multiplication is literally 
scene unfolding before our eyes. In Luke chapter nine, we read a story where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And uh, if, if you're taking down notes, I, I wanna look at just two thoughts today, two big overarching ideas. Number one, I wanna look at the different perspectives that we can have on what we have. The, the different perspectives we can have with what we have. And then lastly, the keys to experience a life of multiplication. If you're taking down notes, got a really creative title for you today. Message this morning is simply titled, Created to Multiply. Created to Multiply. Come on, would you bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's just invite Jesus to speak to us front to the back. Father, we just thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it's living and it's active. Jesus, I pray that even as I'm sharing, as I'm preaching, God, you're speaking to me. You're not just wanting to speak through me. God, I pray, God, even as we talk on this area, God, I pray that you would reveal things in our heart. God, I pray that you would reveal things in my heart. God, I pray that you'd speak to us. God, we recognize, God, that your desire is to be first in our life because if you are first, it's amazing the rest follows. And so, God, I pray that, God, even as we stand, I stand at this pulpit. God, I thank you for so many years of people sowing and the multiplication that we've seen. God, five campuses, six campuses. God, God, you, you moving in the city of Portland, Vancouver, and Eugene. God, we're grateful for what you've done. But God, you're not finished. God, you, you're wanting to multiply. You're wanting to multiply Manor House. God, we're praying that you would move, you would speak to every single one of us here today in your mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. This story in Luke chapter nine, verse 12 um, if you're unfamiliar with it, there's a story where Jesus um, is teaching the multitudes and it says that Jesus fed 5,000 people, but most people think that it wasn't just simply 5,000 people. They counted the males, but uh, they, most people think that there was a lot more people than 5,000. There was women and children. And so a conservative estimate would be more on the 20,000 side, that Jesus is having a crusade, one of the few times where Jesus is talking to a lot of people. And uh, it's here in this context that we're gonna pick up the story. Luke chapter nine, verse 12. I'll read it and you can follow it along. It says this, late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to Jesus and said to him, send the crowds away to nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. I love this. There is nothing to eat here. I love that. I love the disciples. They make me feel so much better about myself. There's nothing to eat here in this remote place. But Jesus said, you feed them. But, but, but we only have five loaves of bread and Two fish, they answered. Or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this entire crowd? I love this story because this first thought that we have when it comes to the perspective of what we have is these disciples had a wrong perspective. They had a perspective of lack. They didn't have the right perspective. They had a, they had a perspective that chose to see the lack that was in their Hands. I love the disciples. They say this, Jesus, you've been preaching. It's been a long, it's been a long church service. Like you told everybody it was a 30 minute message, but it's going on like six or seven hours right now. Kind of like this morning's gonna be, you know? And it's like, people are tired. They're hungry. And uh, you, you need to send them away. Like I, I know you've been preaching real good. We're a little bit unsure about the Greek word you used, but you are the word. So I guess we're gonna trust you on this one. And people are just tired, okay? Like it's been a great church service. Like, I'm, like you're a great preacher, but people have their limits. And would you send them away that the people that they're, they're hungry? And I love this. There is nothing to eat here. 
I love that. We have nothing. There is literally no thing to eat here. There is, there is no thing. I remember when um, I was at uh, Bible college, Portland Bible College changed my life. And one of the things that happened at Bible college is after, after we'd go through classes and after we eat lunch, uh, we'd play a, a game of ultimate Frisbee out on the front lawn. And contrary to popular belief, ultimate Frisbee is a physical sport and it, is, um, it, it does require athleticism, obviously, I would know. And um, we, we would have a game of ultimate Frisbee and we'd, we'd play and it was a bunch, of, a bunch of fun, but I'd be playing and there would be times when you're playing and you're just given everything and you just need to breathe it, like you're tired. It's like, I got nothing left in the tank. I tell the fellas, hey, fellas, I'm just gonna hang out in the end zone. I got, I got nothing left, I, I got nothing in the tank. And then all of a sudden, Kirsten would walk out of the dorms. You know what I'm saying? It's like sometimes there'd be like a little crew sitting on the steps spectating and Kirsty would be sitting on the steps and all of a sudden, my nothing, I got, I got nothing. I literally got nothing till all of a sudden I saw Kirsten watching and it'd be my nothing. Well, I mean, I mean, I got something. <laughs> it, I mean, I thought I had nothing, but I, I guess I got something because someone is watching. It's amazing how often we think we have nothing because we don't recognize the someone who that we're with, the disciples, what they saw in their hand, what, what they saw in their hand. We, we, have, we have nothing. Their nothing wasn't nothing. It was something. They just didn't recognize the someone that was with them. We only got five loaves and we've only got two fish. That's barely enough for half a tuna sandwich. I got nothing. That's barely enough for a grown man to survive on. I got nothing. You see, see their challenge, they had a wrong perspective of what was in their hand. You see, their nothing wasn't nothing, it was something. But what they saw in their hand was this is barely enough for me to survive on that they didn't recognize that maybe it was seed in the right someone's hand. You see, you see, our nothing isn't really nothing. Maybe our nothing is actually really something. We just have to get it out of our hands. That maybe when it comes to a life of multiplication, our perspective, our perspective isn't accurate because what we think is nothing, it's something, but what we see in our hands is it seems so insignificant. This is, this is all that I have. This is what I need to survive. And when we have that mentality, we don't recognize the seed that's in our hand because this is what God promises. God never says for us to supply people's need, but he does ask for us to sow our seed. My responsibility, I love this disciples. Hey, are you, are you expecting us? Are, are you expecting me? Are you expecting us to buy food for 20,000 people? Could it be that Jesus' response is, no, I don't need you to supply their need. I need you to recognize the seed that is in your hand. And have you recognized how oftentimes we look at the disciples that, and I have the same perspective that it comes to the disciples. When I look at what's around me, when I look at all the needs that are around me, I have this perspective. God, there's a lot of needs around me. I think, I think the responsibility is for somebody else to take care of it that the needs that I see around me, it's somebody else's responsibility. Jesus, you send them away. They, they need to find food for themselves. How often do we have that perspective 
when it comes to our resources, what, the needs that we see around us. It's somebody else's responsibility to take care of the need. Or, or how about this one when it comes, to, it comes to what we have in our hand? We have this perspective of God's provision for my life. It's barely enough for me to survive. But maybe what God put in my hand wasn't just for me to survive. Maybe it was supposed to simply be seed. Because this life of multiplication, there was another person in this story who had a different perspective. That there was 12 guys who, who they saw nothing. But Jesus, Jesus saw something. It says this as we continue the story. Luke chapter nine, verse 14. Jesus replied, tell everybody to sit down in groups of about 50. So the people all sat down. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. He looked up to heaven and he blessed them and breaking the loaves into pieces. He kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted and afterwards the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. You see, the disciples had a wrong perspective that what they had in their hand was lack, but there was another person who had a different perspective who recognized that what you have is simply seed it just needs to get into the right hands. And this is what Jesus said. Isn't this audacious? The audacity of Jesus sometimes is mind-blowing. You got five loaves and you got two fish for 12 grown men. Like that is not sufficient, at least for me. I'm like, that's, that's like my meal. Forget James, John, Andrew, Judas. We know he's bad. So like he doesn't get anything, you know? That's funny. But Jesus had a different perspective. And this is what Jesus said. He says, what you're looking at as simply survival, says that Jesus took it. That Jesus said, I need to get that seed into my hands. That word took means this. It means to acquire, to obtain the possession of something because there's another person who has a perspective when it comes to the provision that we have. If I could just get the seed into my hands, if I could just take what's in your hands, what you think is just enough to survive on, if I could get it into my hands, all of a sudden, what we can experience is not just survival mode, we can experience God's faithful and goodness to supply all of our needs according to His riches. And Jesus had this perspective, I just need to get the seed into my hand. I, I just need to get the seed into my hands. You see, see what I look at my hands is what I see as insignificant. What I, what I see as my responsibility, God, it seems like this is barely enough to survive on. God's perspective is no, it's not enough to survive on its seed because if I could get the seed, then I can begin to supply the needs for those around us. You see, when we read this story, if you're taking down notes, there's a couple of keys when I read in this passage that, that lead to a life of multiplication. Number one, the first key, our resources must be blessed before they can multiply. Our resources must be blessed before they can multiply. Isn't it interesting? It says that Jesus took, he got the seed into the right hands. He, he, got, he, got the, he got the supply. And it says the first thing that Jesus did, he didn't start handing it out. It says that Jesus blessed it. That the first thing that Jesus did, the first, the first thing was he blessed it. And remember, blessing isn't the accrual of something. A blessing isn't how much we can possess, although it might be a part of it. Blessing isn't just all the, the Lamborghinis and money in our bank. That's not, that's not blessing. Remember, blessing is the ability to produce. Blessing is the ability to actually have purpose in our life. Blessing is this, the favor of God, the engagement of God, the blessing of God is God's engagement in my world. 
Jesus took this small, insignificant meal and he blessed it. What is he doing? God, we need your engagement in this situation. The first, I love this. The first allows God's engagement in my world. We've talked about it in the last couple of weeks when it comes to our first. The Bible talks about the first being the tithe, the first 10%. I loved a brilliant message a couple of weeks ago about the tithe being a test. It reveals the, 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 the 10%, the, 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 the first. The first is what brings blessing to my life. There's a scripture we've been reading in our series, Malachi verse three. Let me read it to you. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? You rob me. But you ask, how do, you, how do we rob you? Well, in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse. Wow, that's heavy. A whole nation of you because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe, the first, that there may be, here's that word, food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for it. That, that when it comes to the blessing, the, 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 the first thing, it, the first is what allows God's engagement. The first we recognize is the tithe, but have you noticed that God doesn't seem so much concerned with the number as in, as he's more concerned with the order? Have you noticed that when it comes to God, it's not so much his concern is necessarily the number, although tithe, 10, 10, we get, okay, we got that. But have you noticed that God has this like weird obsession with the order in which we do things? Have you noticed that it's not just any 10%? Have you noticed that it's not just, it's the first? Have you noticed that, is it just me, but does God have this weird obsession with the first? Like when you read scripture, have you noticed how many times God has this notion, he is preoccupied, he is consumed with this idea of first? Have you, have you anybody else like seek what? First, the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. You shall have no other gods before me, which means I'm gonna be first. So God, are you saying if, if I have you first, then I can have some other gods? What? He's preoccupied with first. Bring into the storehouse your wealth and your first fruits. Is there anybody else that, like, like why is God so preoccupied with first? What is it about the order that is so significant to God more than even the numerical amount? Did you remember doing something for the first time? Do you remember when, when you did something for the first time? Do you remember when you went to college and the first time you stepped onto, onto that campus? Do you remember the emotions that you experienced when you stepped onto that university at U of O? Rest in peace. Uh, <laughs> do, you, do you remember that emotion that came up, the nervousness, the excitement, the, the uncertainty? Like, like, like that emotion, that happens anytime you do something for the first time. The first time that you went into that job and you got that job and your first day of employment. Do you remember the first day at work? Do you remember how nervous you were? Just me? Like your first day on the job? <sighs> Hope I don't blow it. How about the first time you asked somebody out? First time I asked Kirsten out? Oh boy, I was nervous. I was feeling something. That was for sure. I'm like, Dylan, do not mess this up. The first time you learned how to drive, you get behind the steering wheel. Some of you are teaching your kids this. You're like, oh boy, here we go. Like the first like what is it about the first? It stirs up these emotions, this nervousness, this, this excitement. What does that stem from? Because something happens with the first. the first. The first, something happens to you because this is what happens for you to do something for the first time. 
For you to do something for the first, the first always requires faith. The first always requires faith. In every, any aspect of life, the first time you do anything, it requires faith because what, what, the, faith, the first requires faith and it reveals what you trust. When you went to that college for the first time, it required faith that this was gonna get me a, a career. This was gonna put me on a pathway and it's revealing, I'm trusting this education to get me to my goal. The first time I went to that job, it required faith. They're gonna give me a paycheck and I'm trusting that it's gonna provide some things for me. That relationship, I'm putting faith that this person is not going to ruin my emotions. Girls, if a guy asks you out, just be gentle. It takes a lot of effort to ask that. And guys, if they say no, just ask a couple days later in a non-creepy way and try again. (laughs) What is it about the first? The first, the first always requires faith because it reveals what you trust. When I do something for the first, it's revealing It's it's revealing that I'm gonna put my trust in something. And God is obsessed with the first because it requires your faith. But notice, first doesn't just require faith and reveal what you trust. There's something else about first that's significant. When you build a house, what's the, what's the first thing that you put in? Not a trick question. Most of you got it. Praise God. The first thing you put in is a, Foundation. If you're a builder, you, you know the significance because, because the first thing I put in is a foundation. If I get the first wrong, if the first is not right, doesn't matter how good the builder is, doesn't matter how good the material, the first's not right, it doesn't matter how good the family we came from, the first's not right, it doesn't matter how structured or disciplined we are. If the first is not right, the whole house is not right. But if the first is right, it gives us opportunity for the rest of it to be right. If I was to button my shirt, and I'm not gonna take my whole shirt off, so don't worry. But, but when it comes to buttoning my shirt, if I just start doing it in any order, and some of you OCD people, I'm gonna really anger you right now. And I just start buttoning, buttoning what, what happens? But when I button my shirt, what happens? When if, I, if I start at the top, and I get the first one right, the rest begins to fall into order. Gonna have to button this back up again. Why why is God obsessed with first? Because first always requires faith. It reveals where your trust is. But first is important because it's the foundation. And God knows if I can get somebody's first, then I'm gonna get the rest of them. The rest of them is going to fall into order and alignment. God is consumed with your first because He recognized it's the best thing that I can do for somebody because when I put my first in God, it reveals what I'm trusting. And when it comes to us putting our first in God's hands, you and I, we expect God's blessing. When you said to Jesus, God, I'm gonna put you first, you fully expected God to bless you. You fully expected God's engagement in your world. You said, God, I'm putting you first. Would you wash me and cleanse me of all my sins and make me whole and right before you? I fully expected God, I fully expected God's engagement in my world. When I said, God, I'm gonna put you first in my time. I'm gonna take a day of the week, a Sabbath. I'm gonna take a moment to rest. I fully expect God's engagement. That day is gonna refresh. That first time in the morning, God, you're gonna be engaged the rest of the day. When it comes to my marriage, God, I'm gonna put you first in my relationship. I fully expect God to engage in my marriage. 
that if God is engaged in my marriage, that if I put Him first, this thing called marriage is gonna begin to work. This thing called marriage is gonna work out. And so why, when it comes to my finances, when I put God first, why would I not expect Him to bless me? Why would I not expect God's engagement in my world? When it comes to this idea of first, Jesus first blessed. The first allows God's engagement because there's a consequence if God's not first. In fact, Malachi says it. It's a little bit harsh. But this is what Malachi says. If God's not first, what does he say? You've not put me first in the tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation, because you are robbing me. What, what is this curse? What, like, what is this, what is this, ugh. Like, what, what does that mean? Well, well, think about it. If God is not first, let's just think about it logically. Like, if God is not first, if God is not first, because if first means that it's where I put my faith in, if first is where it's foundational for the rest of me, if God is not first, then by sheer logic, by definition, it means that somebody else is. If God is not first, then it indicates that somebody else is somebody else is first, something else is first. Somebody else is where I'm putting my faith. Somebody else or something else is where it's revealing my trust. Some, something else is what I'm building my life on. Let's just go through it. Jesus, if you're not first when it comes to my life, it means that somebody else is. Jesus, there was a season in my life where Dylan was first. And what does that mean? When Dylan was first, Dylan was responsible for saving myself. Dylan was responsible for being good enough. Dylan was responsible for trying hard enough. Dylan was responsible for navigating my future and knowing what was supposed to happen. And anybody else, when you find yourself first, anybody else experience how hellish that really is? How tiring? how exhausting that is for my spirit, soul, and body. There's a consequence when God's not first. When God's not first in my time, if you notice how frazzled I become when I'm not allowing God to engage in my world, I'm responsible for being sufficient in every area, every day, of my, every day that I'm walking. And when it comes to my relationship, God, if you're not first, somebody else is. Somebody else is responsible for saving my relationship. Somebody else is responsible for fixing me. Somebody else is responsible for fixing them. <laughs> I'm responsible for fixing them. Anybody else ran into that challenge? God, if I'm not first in your finances, I'm responsible for navigating the known and the unknown. I'm responsible. The consequence is that the weight, the faith is in my ability. And I've actually never seen this. Uh, I've never seen this until uh, recently, but, but there's a passage that we've been reading through in this series. Um, and it says this, that, that we can't serve two masters, that you can't serve both God and mammon. You remember that scripture, right? Like you can't serve two, two masters. And let's just think about it logically. If God is first, then the rest falls into line. If God is first, that, that's what requires faith and it reveals where my trust is. But God, if, if God's not first, then, then by definition, something else has to be. You can't serve two masters. They're, 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 they're incompatible. But I've never seen this before. The verse immediately following this passage, this is what it says. You can't serve both God and wealth. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. 
Therefore, do not worry about your life. You can't serve both God and wealth. And so if I put God first, I don't have to worry about my life, which means the opposite of true. If God is not first, I'm solely responsible. I'm the one that has to worry about every aspect of my life. My faith is in my ability to save myself. My, my faith is in my ability to make the odds and ends make it. My faith is in my ability to navigate the future and the unknown. I'm responsible to have to have plan A, B, C, and D. And if that doesn't work out, I better have a plan Z. I'm not sure about what the future holds, but the responsibility is solely in my hands. That is the consequence. That's the curse is when God's not first, we place sole responsibility on ourselves. And have you recognized that we are solely inadequate of saving ourselves? You see, this is what Jesus did, going back to our story. It says this, it says that Jesus took the bread and the first thing, the first thing that he did was he blessed it. The second thing, notice what it says in Luke chapter 16. The second thought that I wanna leave us with is our resources have to be given away before they can multiply. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He kept giving it the first. The first was given to God. That, that's what blessed. That's allowed God's engagement. But the second thing was, notice how Jesus did this. It says that Jesus took what he had he, he took what was out of the disciples' hands, but he gave it back to the disciples. And did you notice, I haven't seen this before in this story. I always thought that Jesus went around breaking the bread. You know, I thought Jesus was the one levitating around. Hey, you're welcome. You know, let's take communion together. But this is not what the scripture says. It says that Jesus took it, but then he gave it back to the disciples. Th think about the mentality the disciples had to be in. We got no food. We got barely enough for us to survive on. And Jesus is looking at the little that I have and he's expecting me to do something with him and find God here, here's my, here's my seed. And then Jesus blesses it, but then he gives it back to the disciples. And all of a sudden they have a choice. Hey, I've been obedient. God, I put you first in my tithe, but now it's back in my hands. And Jesus says, now you distribute it. Could you imagine the mentality? Let's pick on James because we always pick on Peter. James is like, Man, I got it back. God, everything I have is yours and yet you put it back in my hands. I'm grateful. But Jesus says, it's not for you, it's for you to distribute. Can you imagine the first time James has to do this? Okay, I guess I'm going hungry. Here we go. Hey guys, hey Johnny. Here's my tuna sandwich, here you go. Glad you enjoyed that. that. Better enjoy that sandwich, appreciate it. And James comes back to Jesus. When he comes back to Jesus, there's more for him. James gets the bread. Wow, Jesus is really stretching this. Goes to the next group. Hey, here you go, guys. Enjoy that. I'm not eating because you are. Better enjoy that. And then he comes back to Jesus and there's more in his hands. At what point do you think it began to dawn on James? At what point do you think it began to dawn on James that as I'm giving away the seed, as I put it in his hands, what God is doing, he's multiplying. And God, I thought I was giving up, but God, no, all I recognise is I'm a conduit. God, in your hands, it's beginning to multiply and I have a responsibility. I could eat it right now or guess what? I can give it away and God, you're giving more than enough. 
At what point do you think His faith began to grow that I'm getting into this vehicle called generosity and it's getting to me where I wanted to go, where I couldn't get there on my own? I'm gonna throw up a slide here, a scale. You see, this life of multiplication, the first, the, the blessed allows God's engagement. We have a responsibility to keep giving stewardship and obedience. Here's the, here's the first God, it's, it's blessed. You're, you're engaging my, my, my world, but there's a second step. God, what, what's back in my hands? I, I get to make a decision. Am I gonna be generous with it? Because God, what you've placed in my hands, maybe this is enough to supply the needs of those around me. See, multiplication is not one or the other, it's both. God, I give you my first. And God, what's back in my hands? God, it's tough. I'm feeling like I'm gonna go without, but as I gave it away, Jesus, I keep coming back and you've provided more than enough for me. And lastly, our resources, they multiply. There'll be more than enough for your needs and leftovers to multiply again and again and again. Isn't it ironic? It says that the disciples, they picked up how many basketfuls? Isn't it ironic? It's 12 disciples. Fancy that, huh? What they had barely to survive on, put in his hands. All of a sudden, there was something for each of them. A basket full of bread. It, it wasn't a get rich quick scheme, you know? <laughs> but even then, a basket full of bread, it wasn't like that they became millionaires overnight. But what they did see was they did see God's faithfulness to supply their needs according to his riches. That if I can just get the seed into his hands, Jesus, you'll bless it, you'll break it, and you'll multiply it, and you'll keep blessing it, you'll keep breaking it, you'll keep multiplying it. My responsibility is, God, how do I, how do I distribute it? We're gonna go back into worship here in a couple moments, but can, can we just bring this down to a personal level? Have you, have you thought about the first time that we see this principle enacted? Can you imagine Moses is leading the people out of Egypt through the Red Sea? building the house of God, the tabernacle. And they say, hey, God's asking us to give the firstborn, to kill the firstborn. It's a sacrifice. God wants the first. Can you imagine just that family in that arena? The father's in the desert and about to kill the firstborn from the flock. And his father's son runs up to him and says, dad, what are you, what are you doing? You're literally killing our prophets. <laughs> literally. You're literally killing the, the first, the first, what happens if animals get sick? What happens if the, the, the fruit that we give, what happens if locusts come and all the trees wipe out? If you give the first, what happens if we don't have enough? The it, imagine what the father would say to his son. He'd say, son, well, you probably don't remember this, but there was a time when I was a slave and it didn't matter how much I accrued, I couldn't enjoy it and I was never satisfied. And yet God found me when I was at my lowest and not because I deserved it, but He pulled me out of slavery. He pulled me out of slavery and I was, and I was blessed. He was engaged by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day, he was engaged in my world and we walked through the Red Sea. And so son, you have to recognize this first. It's not a waste to me, it's a reminder. I'm not wasting anything 
It's reminding me where my faith is. My faith is not in my ability. My faith is in my God's ability because my God is the one that pulled me out of this situation. You see, when it comes to my world, I remember when I came to America, I was 18 years old. I came with $2,000, worked really hard at a part-time job. My parents had promised that we'll pay for your first semester, but you're on your own. Remember coming here, I got the wonderful privilege, some of you might remember, cleaning the campuses. I was only allowed to work 20 hours a week. And I, God, I got nothing. I do my budget, be, be a steward. And it was here that God began to speak to me about this principle of obedience. But God, if I divvy up how I need to with school and all these other things, I'm gonna have $40 for two weeks. That's, that's my budget. After, if I tithe, I'm gonna have $40 for two weeks for clothing, for food. And God spoke to me, and it was in this season here at Paul and Bible College, here when I first came to Manor House, I want you to be obedient. And so I said, all right, God, I'm gonna start trusting you. I'm my own. This is my decision. I began to instill this principle. And God provided for all of my needs. I remember getting to travel around America, and I didn't expect to get paid for it, and I did. Got unexpected checks in the mail. God, I never went hungry. God, God took care of me. God provided, God provided for me. And now I got a family on my own. And when I get paid and I sit at my table, my son, if he was able to read and he would come, if he's able to, he'd come running up to me. And the mornings, the first, my devotional time when I'm sitting at my kitchen table and Avery was to look at what I'm doing, the 15th and the 31st, I'm saying, God, I'm gonna give you my first. And Avery, I can hear it. If this was to happen, he'd say, Dylan, why, Dad, why are you wasting so much money? Why are you giving away hundreds? You see, Aves, there was a time when Daddy was in slavery. There was a time where I was consumed with pride. I was first. I was responsible for saving myself and I couldn't. I was so anxious and worried because I didn't know how to figure it out. And yet God came into my world and He saved me. And you see, son, I'm not wasting anything. What I'm reminding myself is God's faithfulness because He's been faithful in my past. He's gonna be faithful in my future. And don't you see, this is what God has done for me. And Kiss and I season of generosity. We have the same feelings as you. God, we've been obedient, but now there's this thing called generosity. What is it you want me to give? Remember Kisty one time coming up to us in this season, hey, I feel like God's telling us to give away our down payment. <laughs> no, that is not what we're supposed to do. And this isn't for everybody. This is, this is just our story. But God gave some things back to us. And so we said, we'll give it away. God's miraculously not just provided for our needs. He's given us enough to supply those around us. Some of you might not realize it because of your obedience and generosity this weekend, 331 people went through a freedom encounter. They got, they got fed. They got fed because some people said, God, I'm gonna be obedient and God, I'm gonna give away what you've placed in my hands. We're gonna go back into a time of worship, but would you bow your heads and close your eyes before we do, before we move any other step in the service. If you're here today and you've never encountered Jesus, I'm not so worried about what's in your hand. I'm worried about what's in your heart. Right now, if God's not first, you're responsible for saving yourself. And 
just in this aspect of the service, if you're here and you say, Dylan, I don't have God first. He's not first in my life. I need God to save me from whatever situation you're facing right now. I need Jesus in my life. Would you just raise your hand? I wanna pray for you right here and right now. You ready? One, two, three. You just put your hand and say, I need Jesus. Come on, one over here. Service hosts are gonna get something. One, two, three. Anybody else? You say, I just... I need Jesus, I need Him to be first. Four, you just keep your hand up until we get a card in your hand. As for the rest of us, would you stand to your feet? We're gonna pray and then we're gonna worship. Come on, we're gonna remind ourselves in this moment of what God's done for us. Jesus, right now I pray for every person that raised their hand. If you raised your hand, you can fill that card out in just a moment. Just put your hand on your heart and you just pray a prayer. You say, Jesus, forgive me. Wash me for doing it on my own. God, I'm putting you first. Would you save me? Would you encounter me? God, I'm giving you my life. Forgive me of my sins. God, you make me new. I'm putting my faith and my trust in you. Come on, as for the rest of us, can we take this moment of worship to raise our hands and we're gonna begin to pray and say, God, remind me of what you've done in my life. God, right now we raise our hands because we recognise you took us out of slavery, God. You set us out, uh, took us from miry clay and you put our feet on a rock and God, you gave us your best. And so God, we give you our best. God, you're first because it's where my trust is because you've been faithful in my past. You're gonna be faithful in my future. And so God, we raise our hands. God, we're ready for what You have for us this morning. God, we're committing ourselves once again. God, our trust is in You. God, our faith is in You. God, You provided and God, we give You everything today in Your mighty Name. Come on, let's sing. Aren't you grateful for what Jesus has done? I love that God never asks us to do something that He wouldn't do Himself. Hey, I want You first. But I'm gonna give You my first gonna give you Jesus. He was baptized. It says the heavens opened and he was blessed. This is my son whom I'm well pleased. It says that Jesus was beaten. He was broken. It's amazing that the multitudes, billions have been satisfied by an act of obedience. Come on, would you grab your seats and we're gonna have the opportunity to put this into practice. As I was sharing and I recognize that there's people here that have been in this church for many decades and there's some of us here that might be brand new. We, we can put that slide back up on that scale. And my prayer this morning is that God would just simply be speaking to all of us in some area. I was talking about there's two aspects when it comes to our life. There's obedience and there's generosity. Obedience is different than generosity. Obedience says, God, I'm gonna put you first. And I'm allowing you to engage in my life, like four people who gave their life to Jesus this morning. Yeah, you can put your hands together, come on. I, I still think that's amazing. And as we internalize what God's speaking to us, maybe for some of us here today, our step, our step this morning is really a step of obedience. To say, God, when I look at what I have, the little in my hand, and I know what it's like to feel like, God, I have little. Maybe my first step this morning is to take a step and say, God, I'm gonna be obedient. I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust you with my first. I'm gonna give you my first. It's, it's like the, 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 the juxtaposition of Christianity. Jesus, I'm gonna give you first 
in my salvation. I'm gonna trust you with my salvation. I'm gonna trust you to take care of my sin. I'm gonna trust you with my eternal security, Jesus. I'm excited to go to heaven, but Jesus, am I gonna trust you with my stuff? <laughs> Maybe today that your, your step is a step of obedience to say, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a step of putting you first. I'm gonna, I'm gonna allow you to engage in this area of my life. I've allowed you to engage in all these other ones. Why not allow you to engage in this area? If that's you this morning, no obligation. If you're new, we're just excited you're here. But if you call Manor House your home, maybe that's your step. And that's between you and the Lord for you to pray about. Maybe you're here and you're like me. It's like, man, I took that step of obedience a long time ago. And God, I've seen you engage. My, my resources are in your hands. And Maybe when it comes to this season of generosity, you've never taken that step to say, God, you've put some things back in my hand. God, I wanna see you begin to multiply what you've placed in my hands. And maybe, just maybe, as I keep going back, maybe, just maybe, my step is a step of generosity to see multitudes fed. And so, would you just reach in front of you right now and just grab this pledge card, every single one of us? grab it. It should be just in your front. And if you've got it, just wave at me so I, I know at least half of you are listening. <laughs> just, just grab this. And I just want to take two moments just with the keyboard. When it comes to season of generosity, our prayer as a church is that people might be fed, that there might be food in our storehouse, enough for people to experience natural and supernatural resources. For, for some of us, maybe we're gonna take a step of generosity. And my wife and I did this. If you just grab this card and open it up and we're gonna just spend a couple moments thinking about it, but maybe it's a step to saying, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sow some seed. I'm gonna be generous with my resources. It's a place where, I, God, you can use the gift where you need it most. Or maybe there's something on your heart that you want your resources directed to. Can we just take 30 seconds because I don't want it to be my words. I want it to be his word. Would you just put this in your hand if you're married? Maybe grab the hand of your spouse. Would you just take 30 seconds and would you just ask, God, what is it that you're asking me to step into today? God, you ask me to take a step of obedience. God, today I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that step. It's, I'm nervous, I'm unsure. It's the first, it's the first time, but God, it's amazing. After the first time, it's amazing. I've seen your faithfulness. Maybe your step is that first. Maybe today you're saying, God, what is it that you want me to give? It's, it's not about the amount. It's not about the equal amount. It's about equal sacrifice. God, maybe there's, God, what are you asking me to give today? Just You just between you and the Lord. The first step is deciding what to give. Second is where. Maybe there's some areas you're wanting to. Last step is maybe how. For Kirsten and I, we, we take a, a month to make the pledge and say, hey, this is what we feel like God's speaking. And we give some now and we don't know how the rest is gonna come, but God, we're gonna give it. You can give online or use an envelope in front of you. But church, can we do this? Can we pray that the seed that God's placed in our hand 
that God, if we just simply put it back in your hands, multitudes are gonna be fed. This last weekend, 331 people went through freedom. They experienced supernatural feeding because there were some of you here that were obedient. They encountered Jesus because some of you were saying, hey, I'm gonna use my resources for eternal purposes, for people to encounter a living God. We're gonna get ready to drop these in the offering buckets. Guests, if you've got a Connect card, we, we, we want more than this off you. We just want that Connect card to know who you are. But let's pray that God is going to continue to use Manor House to supernaturally feed, not just this community, but this city, Portland, Vancouver, and Eugene. God, we thank you, God, that everything that we have comes from you. Jesus, we stop and we thank you for what you've done in our life. God, you saved us. You pulled us out of slavery. God, everything that we have before, it didn't matter how much we had, it didn't satisfy. Now everything that we have, God, you give us the ability to enjoy it. God, you've given us the ability to multiply. God, I pray today, God, regardless of the amount, God, I pray that today we would just simply be sowing seeds, saying, God, I'm entrusting this to you. God, would you use this? Would you multiply it? Would you use me? Maybe to see thousands of people fed. God, we give today, not because we have to. God, we give because we get to. In your mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Service host, can you pass the buckets? Guests, drop that Connect card in there. And uh, we'll dismiss here in just a few moments. Thank you for listening to another Mana House message. Our hope is that you find fresh bread for your journey each time you join us here. Until next time. 